know, it's been said that uh, there are two things in life that are inevitable. I hope you all know what those are. Death and taxes. That seems like a pretty short list, but if I were to ask you some additional things that come to your mind, I'm sure that list would be significantly longer. Some of you might say, well, Pastor, I, I think that stress is inevitable, or debt is inevitable, or how about conflict or failure, disappointment? How about getting old? This morning we are concluding a, a three-part teaching that we've called Identity, Knowing Who You Are in Christ. <clears throat> and I want to address this morning as we conclude this series, I want to address this simple question. And don't answer, I just want you to think about this, we're going to tackle this, but my question this morning is, is sin inevitable for the child of God? Is sin inevitable for the child of God? Or to put it another way, if you are a child of God, are you still a sinner? Don't answer. If you're a child of God, are you still a sinner? I'd mentioned before that uh, a number of years back, a retired pastor friend of mine, he kind of shocked me, um, successful pastor and a leader in our denomination. He said, Paul, I've come to realize after 35 years of pastoral ministry that fundamentally people don't change. And I kind of thought, well, what am I doing? <laughs> what am I here for? And I never quite understood what he meant, but I think over time as I gave it more thought, I began to realize more of what I think he was saying. I think what he was speaking to was a reality in the church today that I believe is directly related to our belief that salvation means that our sins are forgiven, our home is in heaven, but until then, we basically just have to do the best we can with God's help. We've got to do the best we can to try to modify our behavior so that we at least reflect what we believe. Now, as we've been seeing these past few weeks, God tells us that is not the case. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that, that if we are in Christ, we are a brand new creation. And as we've been saying, Paul did not mean that we are just some kind of fixed-up version of our old self. He says if you're in Christ, you're brand new. You are somebody who has never existed before. You're brand spanking new. Two scriptures I want to share uh, this morning, and um, the emphasis on these scriptures are just mine. But I'm going to ask as we bring the first slide up, and perhaps you could read these first few verses with, uh, with me from uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. Read this with me. God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these He has given us His very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. He goes on to say in verse 5, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, to that divine nature, goodness. And to goodness, add knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, mutual affection. And to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind. Now get this. Forgetting that they have been cleansed from their sins. It's not that if you don't do these things that you're lost, but you've forgotten something. 1 John chapter 3. John writes, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, what? Now we are the children of God. And what we will be, that is the fullness of that, with all that means, will not, um, sorry, we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when Christ appears, 
We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, in all that fullness, without any human limitations. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Would you read verse uh, 4 to 6 with me? Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that Jesus appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. It's not a pattern of your life. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Verse 7, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Let's read this last one together. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. <coughs> Man, I feel like I'm a rock hunt. Or blessing you one or the other. Because God's seed remains in them, they cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And again, what he wants us to understand, he's talking about a pattern of sin. If you're in God, if you're born again, if you're alive to God, if the seed of God is in you, it doesn't mean you will never sin, but it's not going to be a habit in your life. It's not going to be a pattern. You're not going to continue to do it on stop. Now, it's been said, and I believe this, that it's not what you know that's important. It's what you understand. And there's a whole lot of stuff that a lot of us know, having grown up in the church, but there's a whole whack of stuff that we don't understand. In fact, one of the things we need to do, and part of our spiritual growth requires not only that we learn new things, we need to grow in the knowledge of God, the knowledge of His Word, the things that the Lord wants to teach us, but there's a whole lot of stuff we also got to unlearn. There's a whole lot of religious stuff that creeps into the body of Christ, that creeps into the way we think, because by our own nature, our own sinful nature, we're just kind of more oriented toward works. We're just more oriented toward, like, just tell me what I can do and what I can't do, you know, the flesh just does not crave this intimate relationship with God that is led by the Spirit and that lives in the identity of who it is. The Lord intends that for us, but that's not always what, that's not definitely not what the flesh wants to do. Now, we've been looking at this subject of identity as it relates to who we are as a people of God because when we understand what our true nature is, then our attitudes and our behaviors can be, begin to line up with who we know we really are. Because until then, until we really know who we are, I believe as sincere as we may be, what we end up doing is living a lifestyle that, that sincerely tries to be good, but fundamentally, it doesn't change a whole lot. Fundamentally, we're just kind of a bit of a new and improved, you know, version of the old self. And so we still gossip. You know, we still complain, and we're still selfish, and we're still whatever. We still do all these things, and in our mind we're thinking, well, nobody's perfect. Or surely God understands. Or surely God does not expect. You see, the reason Kim could sing this song is because she didn't believe that lie. She knows her God. She knows what God can do. Through the valley, through the battle, whatever it may be, her heart was crying out, Lord, I choose life. I choose unity. I choose obedience. I choose surrender. I choose your will and not my own. Until then, again, we just try to do good. Now, good is the right thing to do, but good does not make you right with God. There are many people who do not even believe in God who don't serve God. And they still manage to do good from time to time. So we're going to look at what it really means to be the children of God. And as we talk about this, we're going to use a term from Galatians 4, and it's throughout the Scriptures. But we're going to use the masculine pronoun, son of God, or sons of God, to understand that we are sons of God. And that's not to exclude the females in the audience. But it's intentionally to emphasize the fact that in the kingdom of God, as Paul said in Galatians, there is no male or female. 
In the kingdom of God, in the spirit realm, there is no male and female. In our, in our physical being as we are now, we refer to ourselves as sons of God, daughters of God. But I'm going to refer to us this morning as sons of God because I want us to understand that in the kingdom of God, all of us here this morning, the Bible says that we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Jesus Christ. Our sonship actually speaks to our station. In the kingdom, not our sex. It speaks to our position before the Father. Every single one of us here this morning who names the name of Jesus Christ, whether you're male or female, we are number one sons of God. We all stand on equal footing. None of us are better than anybody else. None of us have more access than anybody else. We are all heirs of God. All the riches of God in Christ are ours. Every one of us, in the, in the eye of the Spirit, we are all firstborn. We all have the same birthright as children of God. So I want to begin by asking the question, what happens when we are born again? I really believe to truly grasp what happens at salvation, we need to understand, first of all, and remind ourselves that there are two kingdoms in this world. There is the kingdom of God. There is the kingdom of darkness. There's the, king, uh, the kingdom of Satan, or what we call the, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of, 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 uh, of this world. There's the spirit of God, and there's the world spirit, right? That's headed by Satan. You can call it the spirit of the world or the world spirit. There's two different spirits, two different kingdoms. When John writes, as we just read a moment ago, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, I believe what John wants us to understand, that in both kingdoms, that there is a seed. Both kingdoms actually produce something. Does that make sense? We all know, as James says, that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of light. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of heaven, every good thing. And so from the kingdom, we understand as we read the word of God that there comes love and joy, fulfillment, provision, different gifts, different abilities. All of these things are manifestations of righteousness that flow from the seed from which comes from, which comes from the spirit of God. Does that make sense? Everything of life, that is, all these things are born of God. We are born of God. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit, all these things flow from the Spirit of God. But the Bible also says in Galatians 5.19 that there's a spirit of this world. And in the spirit of this world or the worldly realm, uh, the spirit realm the dar of darkness, there is also a seed. And out of that seed or out of that root also comes or also is manifest, Paul says in Galatians 5.19, is evident to all the works of darkness, the works of the flesh. Things like pornography, violence, selfishness, uh, an addiction to pleasure, leisure, spiritual apathy, unbelief. You see, in the kingdom of, dar of darkness, because we know that Satan can't create, he just tries to copy he will try to convince people that he can provide everything they need to give the same fulfillment that God has promised. But we know that it can't because out of his kingdom, there's no life. And what, what we crave as spiritual beings is life and fullness. And so it can't come out of that dark kingdom. But the enemy will promise that, people fall for that, and they realize eventually that it only leads to misery and death. So there are two kingdoms. We know from reading the Bible in the outset that Adam and Eve started out living in the, kingdom of, uh, in the kingdom of God. But the day that they disobeyed God, the day that they just consciously said, God, by doing what you said not to do, we're just basically saying that we want to do things on our own terms. We're going to believe what the enemy has said, what the devil has said. We're going to go his way. And when that happened, they fell away from God. And just as God had warned, they died. And yet they didn't die the moment they disobeyed. They continued to live for well over 900 years, right? So what died? What died was their nature. What died, the word we've been using these last few weeks, is their identity. Remember the word identity comes from the Latin edom, which has to do with who you are or what you are the same as. They were created in God's image. They were like God. They were sons of God. So what died in them, though physically they continued to live, because they were still animated physically by the breath of God, right? 
God gave them the breath of life. In fact, when God breathed into them the breath of life, some Hebrew translation says that word actually means God breathed in the breath of lives. So that in the natural, they had the power to continue to propagate the human race. So life came from them. Physical life came from them from their seed and their seed and their seed from generation to generation. Adam passed on or through what God had given him, the gift of being able to procreate, to recreate physical life. And so Adam has this physical life, but the problem, of course, is that he was no longer a son of God. His identity died. Who he used to be like. It died. His nature died. As a son of God, he became a slave to Satan. Just try to hold on for a second. I hope I'm not dragging this out, but I I just want to lay this foundation. Adam and Eve, after they sinned, were no longer children of light. They were children of darkness. They traded the mind of God for a mind controlled by the world spirit. As Paul says in Romans 9, that is actually hostile to God. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they inherited all these things which together made up what the Scripture calls their sinful nature. And because you and I are born from Adam's seed, what happens? We inherit, when we are born into this world, we inherit Adam's nature. That is why before we came to know Christ, that is why sin came so natural to us. Why it was so easy to do just what our selfishness wanted us to do. We were just living out of our sinful nature, and our sinful nature, Galatians 5.19, produces the works of the flesh. Does that make sense so far? Now, when we bowed our knee to Jesus Christ as our Savior from sin and as the Lord of our life, the Bible says that something remarkable happened, Colossians 1. God delivered us from the domain or the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Now, if you work for a company and you get transferred, do you still live where you used to live? Wouldn't that be kind of strange? True story. I remember a guy a number of years back. He got married, went on his honeymoon, came home, Monday morning, went to work, after work, went back to his mother's and sat at her table for supper. She said, what are you doing here? I'm here for supper. You're married. Oh, man, I forgot. He literally forgot. Can you imagine? Must have been a great honeymoon. He forgot. You can edit that. But he forgot that he was married. You see, we forget that when we are transferred... We're no longer in the same place. We can't be in those two places at the same time. Ephesians 2. Even though we were dead in our sins, God who is rich in mercy, as we shared last week, because of the great love he had for us, he gave us life together with Christ. Would you read this last line with me? And he lifted us right out of the old life, to take our place with him in Christ in the heavens. But here's the problem. Many of us in the body of Christ have come to understand salvation as only having said a prayer and our sins being forgiven. Now, we are thankful for that. It's a wonderful thing. But that's kind of the gist of what we picture salvation as being. I said a sinner's prayer and I've been forgiven of my sin. Why? Because we tend to think of sin as just something that we do. We talk about committing sins. It's something that we do. But sin is not just an act. Sin is a place. You hear me this morning? Sin is a kingdom. Sin is a mindset in which you can live if you choose to. But sin is actually a tangible kingdom, the kingdom of sin. You see, the kingdom of darkness where sin is spawned, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of this world. Do you understand me this morning? It's a place. It's not just what you do. So when you surrender your life to God, the Bible says he not only removed your sin from you, he removed you from the place where sin controlled you. He removed you from the kingdom of darkness. And before he transferred you into the kingdom of light, God literally killed the old you. 
He killed your old nature. And he gave you a brand new nature because you live in a brand new kingdom. And because God's seed is in you, because you are a partaker of the divine nature, you are now able to produce righteousness. You are able to be like Christ in this world. Romans 6. We know that our old life, what? Died with Christ on the cross. It was crucified, and we can't appreciate crucifixion today, but if you lived in that day and you read these words, you would know exactly, hey, when you get up on the cross and crucified, you ain't coming down. You are not coming down. You are dead as a doornail. He says, on the cross, so that our sinful selves would what? Have no power over us, and we would not be slaves to sin. Isn't that what God had prophesied, promised through the prophet Ezekiel? He said, I will give you what? A new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. Not just a behaviorally modified heart or spirit. No, no, no. I'm going to give you a brand new heart. I'm going to give you a brand new spirit. That heart speaks to where your longings are, your emotions, your passions. He says, I'm going to give you a heart that's going to long for me, that's going to desire me. Now, the devil knows how to try to counter that. We're going to look at it in just a moment, but that is what you receive. In fact, speaking of that nature change, Paul writes in Ephesians 5, he says, for you were once darkness. Now, please understand this. Paul didn't say that you were just once in darkness. No, no, no. You were once darkness. You were, as the French say, dark au bout. Au bout. Completely dark. Why? Because spiritually you were dead. The lights were out. What was in you was the seed of Satan, the sinful nature that loved to do its own thing, that was hostile in your mind toward God. You were darkness itself. That was your nature. That's who you were. But I love how Paul finishes this verse. But now you are what? Light in the Lord. Notice Paul did not say that now you are just in light. Now I know this is kind of mind-blowing. And some of you are already rejecting. Ah! You know, that makes me God. No, it doesn't. It means the nature of God is in you. You're a brand new person. You're a different person. You are light. Why are you light? Because who else is light? Jesus is light. Who lives in you? Jesus. Whose nature do you now have? Jesus. If you don't believe me, listen to what the Scripture says in 1 John 4. As Jesus is, so you are in the world. Jesus is light. And you may say, well, Pastor, that sounds a little far stretched. Well, listen to the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 5, 14. What did he say? You are the light of the world. Now listen, friends, I know this is kind of hard to get our minds around. Because we don't think a lot of times in these terms. Religiously, we kind of have a whole different, you know, box that sometimes we, we try to live out of. It can be hard for us to grasp this. But when we truly understand all of this, we understand why the Bible says in Hebrews 2.3 that this is so great a salvation. When you really understand where you were, where you are now, what you were, what you are now, it is just so great a salvation, so complete a Savior, so thorough a transforming work. You are a son of God. You are a partaker in the divine nature. You are light. You are seated with Christ in the heavens. This is not just theory. This is not just some new age philosophy. This is the word of God. This is what God says to you. Now what we're talking about here is what has happened to us nature-wise. What has happened to us identity-wise. What we're talking about this morning is what or who you are now. Please understand We're not talking about how you sometimes feel. We're not talking about what you might sometimes do or not do. We're talking about the fact, first and foremost, who you are. And according to the Word of God, who you are like. Now here's the key, because I know the way we think. 
When God looks at you, he sees you totally different than you see yourself. He sees you totally different than other people see you as well. There really is no comparison. If you could take what God, how God sees you and how most times you probably see yourself, they will look like two totally different people. And it's partly true. Why? Because we keep looking at ourselves through the lens of our past experiences, through our present failures, don't we? But the Bible says that when God looks at us, He looks at me the same today as He will forever look at me in heaven. Doesn't change. Now, John says, when I see the Lord, I mean, this is going to be a, the fullness of the revelation that I yet, yet to grasp. Paul says, we look through a glass dimly. So there are some limitations on our side. Not limitations to who we are, but limitations to really understanding who we are. I mean, I can imagine when the rapture takes place. And if I'm, you know, shoulder to shoulder with Vanessa, and she's transformed, I'm going to go, wow. If I had known then what I know now. You know, if I had known who you really are in Christ, the beauty, the power, the magnificence. In fact, C.S. Lewis once wrote many, many years ago, I'm trying to recall which book it was in, but he says this, I paraphrase, but he says, if we could see who people truly are in Christ right now, we'd be tempted to bow down and worship them. Now, we wouldn't do that as human beings, but we'd be tempted because the revelation would just blow us away. And that's exactly how God sees us as well. Just like he's going to see us forever in heaven. From his perspective, it doesn't change. But here's the key. God wants us to set aside how we see ourselves in order to see what he sees. He wants you to see that nothing can change what he has done for you. He wants you to see that nothing can change how he thinks about you. Read the latter verses of Romans chapter 8. He wants you to understand, as we shared last week, there is nothing that can separate you from his love. Absolutely nothing. But he wants you to understand who you are. He wants you to understand who he has made you to be. One of my favorite verses, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. Speaking of the cross. For by one sacrifice, he has forever made perfect those who are being made holy. When you come to Christ, forgiveness of your sins, brand new nature, created in his image, God says, you're perfect. Just like after creation, the physical world, he looked at it and said, it is good. He looked at you and said, it is good. I couldn't add anything. I couldn't do anymore. It's just the best it can be as far as who you are in your nature. Now, we all understand that right away the devil comes to us and says, uh, no, I can see some flaws. Yeah, God's just kind of a loving father, you know, just love is blind. No, you want, you want truth? Look in the mirror. I'll, I'll, I'll point them out to you. Why? Because the devil does not want us to understand who we are. Because if we truly understand who we are, we understand all that we can be in God in this world. We understand all God can do through us. We understand all the things that we no longer have to tolerate. We understand all the lies that we no longer have to believe. We understand that, yes, we will have struggles, as Jesus said, in this world, but take heart, I've overcome the world. We'd understand that truly greater is he that is in me than who is against me. Oh, he'll keep coming against me, but like Jesus, I can stand on the authority of his word and the power of his Holy Spirit. I can resist the enemy. He will flee. He will still look for another opportune time to come back at me, but you know what? If I stand firm after having done all to stand, I can still stand. It's not inevitable. Sin is not inevitable. Brokenness in relationships is not inevitable. Pride is not inevitable. Selfishness is not inevitable. All these things that we accept as just the fact that we are human. You know what? Keep this in mind. The very first human was perfect until he sinned. And the second Adam came back to restore that perfection in us so that we can understand I'm human. And because I'm only human, I don't have to sin. I don't have to sin. I just gave away my punchline. But we'll get to that in just a moment. He has perfected forever those who are being made holy. What does that mean? 
It means from the Father's perspective, the new nature He has given you, in His eyes, you are perfect. But as you learn to walk out who you are in Christ, as you learn to allow the Spirit that is alive in you to have dominion over the flesh that once ruled you, you will actually begin to see your new nature increasingly dominate your old nature and become progressively whole. That's what holiness is. God is whole. And he says, you can be whole as well. You can begin to live like the one you already are like. That's what it's about. And that is Jesus. Friends, I believe that living in the confidence that you are everything God says you are is not just about positive thinking. And it's great to be positive. But it's about understanding the power of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit who raised you up in new life in Jesus Christ. Now, if this is all true, and I believe it is, then the question begs to be asked, how can sin and darkness still affect us if we don't live there anymore? Well, I believe the reality is, sadly enough, that many of us still do live there. Mentally. We don't live there spiritually. When God looks at us, that's not our address anymore. Remember, we got a new job. We got transferred. God says, that's not where you live. Don't go back there for your mail anymore. It's not going to be there. It may just be a bunch of bills and flyers and things you don't need, but that's not where it goes. That's not where you live anymore. But for many people, they still live there in their minds, mentally. And we think we're still there, because the devil convinces us that if any time I fall into his temptation, well then, I, just, I must not be there anymore. In fact, unfortunately, there are many Christians who believe, you know, if I trip up, if I sin, if I do what is wrong, I mean, am I even saved anymore? I remember when I came into Pentecost, and I don't mean this critically, I mean, I, I thank God for, for um, just what he, what he brought us into in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but, but I can remember coming from a mainline denomination, it would always baffle me as a 14-year-old teenager why the same people were always going to the altar every Sunday to rededicate their lives to the Lord. I thought, don't you have more security than that? We say, Pastor, do you believe in eternal security, eternal security? No. But I don't believe in eternal insecurity either. I don't believe that we just get saved over and over and over and over again. But, and I know that we don't really believe that, but a lot of times we kind of act that way in our heart as far as our confidence before the Lord. Romans 8 and 5. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. I, I just love that verse. The Lord not only gives us life, He gives us peace. Isn't peace a wonderful thing? Just the absence of striving and stress and all those things. Just being. Just being in Him. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. Get this. It does not submit to God. Read it with me. Nor can it do so. So again, Adam dies after eating the fruit. But how does he die? He dies in his spirit. He dies in his mind. He dies in a mind becoming darkened, as Romans 1.21 says. And out of that darkened mind, his life becomes controlled by the sinful nature. The life that God breathed into him, as we shared earlier, animated his physical body, but he no longer had eternal life. He no longer was a son of God. Now, I want you to notice this, what Paul says about this sinful nature. Other translations call the carnal mind. He says, it does not submit to God, nor can it do so. Now, if you know your Bible, probably one verse that's coming to your mind is Romans 12, 2. What does Paul say there? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. Well, I don't believe Scripture contradicts itself, but it sure seems to here. The natural mind cannot please God, nor does it even desire. It can't even do it. And yet Paul is saying, renew your mind. 
How can I renew something? Listen to this. How can I renew something that God also says cannot change? You ever thought of that? How can I renew something that cannot change? I believe the answer is in 2 Corinthians 2.16. Paul says, we have the mind of Christ. Do you hear that? We have the mind of Christ. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I believe, among other things, is to teach us how our new mind can dominate the old mind. How it can stifle the old mind. I believe to renew your mind means to let the old mind die so that your new mind can emerge. Your old self is always trying to hang on to you. And it does that by, 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 you know, trying to, by lying to you and trying to drag you back in and saying things about you and condemning you if you mess up or, or, or trying to recreate in your mind your understanding who you really are so that you just kind of stay there and you never get free, you never move on for what God has for you. But we need, Paul says, to finally let that mind die. And how do you do that? Very simple. You stop feeding it. You stop feeding it. It's like that old saying, you've you got, you got to stop feeding the dog. It's like the man that had this dog in his backyard chained up. You probably heard the story many years ago, you know, chained up. You'd always go and feed the dog, and the dog would bite him. Next day, feed the dog, the dog would bite him. And he didn't know what to do, and he asked his friend, I don't know what to do, he keeps biting me. The friend said, stop feeding him. And that's what Paul is saying. You've been given a brand new mind. You've got to stop feeding your old mind. So that your new mind can begin to dominate your old mind to the point that you don't hear the old mind anymore. And if you do, it's very faint. And when you do, you recognize it and you know how to align yourself with God, with His Word and with the Holy Spirit so that sin, that sinful mind, no longer has dominion over you. He's given us a new mind. That's why Peter said, add to your faith. Add to this divine nature, goodness, self-control, godliness, love. Possess these qualities in increasing, increasing measure. Because when you feed your new nature, you will starve the old nature. Every time you're tempted to think with your old nature, with that carnal mind, what does James say you need to do? You need to submit yourself to God. Submit yourself to God. What does the Lord say? I want to be refueled with his presence. Lord, here's the struggle, here's the temptation. I am turning to you. And Lord, as we connect and as you pour into me and as your truth builds up in me, then in that strength, I turn to the enemy and I say, in Jesus' name, you'll have no place in me. In Jesus' name, I will not do that. I will not say that. And he flees. Because our spiritual weapons actually have spiritual power. And in the spirit realm, spiritual beings feel the impact of those weapons. They're very real. Romans 6. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not what? Give in. Well, he wouldn't say don't give in if there wasn't, if there wasn't an option. But you see, there is. And that's what Paul wants us to understand. As long as we're in this world, sin will be around us. Sin will always try to get a hook in you. Uh, Ephesians 4, 17, or 27. He'll always try to get a hook in you, a, a foothold in you. But it doesn't have to happen. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. And that's just, a, that's just not talking about sensual things. Don't let your tongue become an instrument of evil. Don't let your mind, don't let your eyes, don't let your ears, don't let any part of your being become an instrument for evil to serve sin. Instead, here's the key, Give yourselves completely to God. Why? Because you were dead. But now you have new life. He says the old man is dead. Keep him dead. Don't feed him. Don't play with him. Don't raise him up. Don't give him any opportunity to become stronger. Keep him dead. Keep your foot on his neck and say you will not rule over me. You will not rule over me. 
You will not have me. You will not have my home. You will not have my finances. You will not have my thoughts. You will not have my anointing. You will not have my ministry. You will have nothing to do with me. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of the light. I live in the kingdom of God. For this purpose, the Son of God is revealed to destroy the works of the devil. And I will have no darkness in me, for I carry the mantle of that same ministry. And wherever I go, I say, Lord, use me to dismantle and destroy the works of the devil. That's what the Lord has for us. That's the joy of the kingdom. I was talking to a friend this morning, just talking about some witnessing and ministry opportunities, and I said, I said isn't that fun? I mean, ministry, the things that God does through us, he pours through us, the way he'll touch lives through us. Friends, there's no bigger high than that. There's nothing more fulfilling than that, nothing more exciting than that, than the anointing, the presence of God flowing through us. But you see, where there's sin, we stifle that flow. And the Lord wants to be free of sin. No darkness in us so that we can battle darkness. So here's the question. Am I still a sinner? Yes, I make mistakes. I may even sin at times. But here's the question. Is that who I truly am? Is that my nature? Is that my identity? You see, sin is an identity. Sin is a nature. My question is, is it possible to be a child of light and a child of darkness at the same time? Is it possible to live here and get transferred and live here and, and, and be the occupant at the same time? If I've been transferred, is it possible? You see, there are two different kingdoms in two entirely different places. And so here's my question. And here's what I wrestled with as a 14-year-old child when I was exposed to this whole idea of just constantly rededicating your life to the Lord. And people are sincere, and preachers are sincere. But even as a child, 14 years old, there were times I wanted to stand and say, this isn't right. Yes, it's right to dedicate your life, or if you come back to the Lord, yes, but not Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Because I would see those same people back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and eventually gone. They were sincere, but they were completely exhausted. Just thinking, I can never please God. I don't know what to do, so I just might as well stay away. And I'm not blaming anybody. But there are two entirely different kingdoms. The question is, can I just keep going back and forth from one place to the other? Can I be delivered, transformed, then lost again? Dead, made alive, then dead again. A child of darkness, a child of light, then a child of darkness again. Not just once, but over and over and over and over and over and over again. Can I do that? The answer is no. No. Friends, we need to understand that we are not darkness anymore. That is not who you are. You are light. And it doesn't mean that you're invincible. It doesn't mean you can just do what you want. It doesn't mean you can play with sin. It doesn't mean grace is cheap. In fact, hear me, friends. Even though you are in the light, even though you are light, you have to be diligent. Why? Because you can still fall asleep in the light. I can fall asleep with the lights on. And one of the ways you'll get tired more than any other way is when you just become religious. You get out of the lifestyle of, of, of a walk with Christ, of intimacy in his word, spending time in quiet and solitude and meditation and, and receive and respond. You get away from that and you just settle for religion. Religion will wear you out. If it doesn't wear you out from trying to do things all the time for God, it'll wear you out because it is simply just boring. You'll just fall asleep like there's just no excitement in it. But we can fall asleep with the light if we're not careful. Remember Keith, Jean, Keith Green sang that song a number of years ago, the world is sleeping in the dark, but the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. A lot of truth to that. You can become entangled with sin. You can be put into chains by the tempter. You can drift so far from the life of God that you begin to even doubt your salvation. But hear me, friends. That still does not change who you are. It doesn't change your nature. If Jesus has delivered you, if he has washed you, if he has filled you, if he has made you brand new, then by nature, are you still a sinner? Do you hear me this morning? They might be thinking, well, pastor, doesn't Paul say that Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am chief? Paul's not saying that I'm a sinner by nature. If you read the context of the scripture in the next verse as well, Paul is saying, listen people, 
Jesus came to save sinners. I was the worst. And if he can save me, he can save you. Paul understood what he was. He never forgot that. That's why he was always so in, you know, marveled at God's grace. But Paul also understood who he was. If he didn't understand who he was, we'd have to write out or, or erase every other scripture we read that Paul, that Paul said that we just quoted. Paul understood the difference. Are you by nature still a sinner? Remember, sin is not just what you do. Sin is a nature. Sin is an identity. Sin is the person you used to be. Sin is the person that Jesus nailed to the cross. In my opinion this morning, the answer is no. Why? Because Paul says you were what? Read it with me. Once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness. Not just some of it. No, no. No, all of it. Right? You're delivered from the whole thing. It's gone. Now, it doesn't mean that sin still can't have power, still can't have influence if we let it. But here's the key. We don't have to let it because of who we are. We've been given every opportunity, every option, every weapon, every resource, a new nature included to resist and to stand in the freedom for which we have been made free and to not become entangled again. I'm going to invite the musicians to come. When I was young, my first four or five years, we grew up in a trailer park, and we had a lot of fun there. <clears throat> but one day, I was about three years old, my brother was five, and we were, I don't know where we were going. We were either going, I mean, back in that, those days, you always dressed your kids up with the most uncomfortable things you could find. It didn't matter if you're going to church or wherever it may be. So we were in the white shirt and tie and the vest and the shorts and the dress shoes and everything else. Mom had us all ready, and she went off to do her thing. And when she came to get us to go in the car, we were covered with paint stain. My dad had done some painting outside and he had an old wagon that we weren't using anymore and he had it full of stain and we just had it all over us. Mom just took one look at us, took our clothes off, threw the clothes in the garbage. Spent I don't know how long with soap and turpentine, whatever she needed to finally get those stains off. Get us all dressed again. Came back to get us. We get back into the stain all over us. Now, I'm just going by what she says. That's the story she tells us. What did she do? She took the clothes off again, threw them away, cleaned us up. The second time it happened, why didn't she just throw us away? I mean, if she really wanted to get rid of her problems, why did she just say, okay, I gave you guys a chance. Here, garbage bag, see ya. Or hey, go see Aunt May across the street. She'll raise you. You know, why did she do that? Because even though we were stained, even though we were dirty, even though we'd ruined some of the good clothes that our mother had given us, we were still her sons. We were still her children, her offspring. Saints, God has so much more faith in his word than we do. And when God says in his word that you are a new creation, you are a son of God, you are his seed, you were dead but now you are alive, hear me. God does not question whether or not that's true. You hear me this morning? He doesn't question that. He doesn't look at you and go by your actions to decide who you are. He already knows who you are. What's the problem? We don't know who we are. We don't know who we are. And that doesn't mean we get cocky. That doesn't mean that we just go about and, you know, throw grace around. We understand how great our salvation is. We understand the divine options that we have. We understand that it's not about striving to be better and do better. That will come, but that flows naturally when we understand already who we are and realize what I don't have to do. When temptation comes, when thoughts come, I realize I don't have to do that. I don't have to do that. I have options. In fact, let me encourage you in this. You know, we really get, you know, down on ourselves sometimes. We get all bummed about ourselves. And, and, and we think, you know, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm not whatever. Do you know what? I believe probably for the majority of people in this, in this room this morning, there are people all around you on the, on the job site, neighborhood, wherever it may be, in your family. And if you were to ask them, this is what they'd say about you. 
They're different. They're not like everybody else. They don't talk like everybody else. They, they, they react differently to people. And especially if you were recent coming to the Lord the last few years, they just probably look at you and say, wow, man, they are changed. They are not the same person. But you know what? All we see is what the devil shows us. We see where we mess up. We see where we fall short. The list goes on. And we believe the lie. And God says, that's not how I see you. That might be some of the dirt you're getting on yourself right now. You see, God doesn't hate you. He just hates the dirt. And he says, but I want you to understand. If you really understand who you are, all you got to do is confess. And I'll forgive you and wash you out and put brand new clothes on you. You have robes of righteousness on you. You need to understand when I look at you who I see you as. And we've looked at all the scriptures this morning. I don't need to repeat them. But God says, that's who I see you as. And you know what? The way I look at you right now is not going to change for eternity. A trillion years from now, I'm going to look at the exact same. Because in my eyes, you don't change. You're the same. You're perfect. You're perfect. Now, just let me make you whole. Just let me show you how to give dominance. That's why the Holy Spirit is given to us, that he can work the nature of Christ in us. You see, he's already in us, but he's saying, now let me show you how to walk like Jesus. Let me show you, show you how to say no to these things that are, that are marring the image of Jesus in you. Let me, let me show you how to do that stuff so that you can begin to walk in freedom. Freedom to freedom. And here's the beautiful thing. As you walk in freedom, I'm going to bring people around you to whom you can minister freedom. Freely you've received, now freely give. So if I could just kind of paraphrase God saying, would you just stop messing with the stain, right? Would you just understand who you are, how I see you? That's not being proud. That's not being proud. And no, no, no more is it being pious by saying, I'm not this or that or the other thing. That's, that's to completely misunderstand what the cross accomplished. Well, I'm just this. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just, woe is me. I'm just all this kind of stuff. If that's who I think I am, that's how I'll live. That's all I expect of myself. But if I really begin to understand who I am in Christ with humility and thanksgiving, I begin to rise up. And I don't compare myself to anybody else. I just begin to rise up within my heart. And whatever the Lord prompts me, I can begin to say, you know what, Lord? I can do that. I can be like that. Because as Jesus is, so are we in this world. Amen? Would you bow your hearts? I just want you to listen to the words of this song that we've sung before. It's called, No Longer a Slave to Sin. I am a child of God. I'm going to ask the ministry team to prepare themselves. When we close in prayer, the team is just going to come and be available to you for prayer. And when we stand, if you need to slip out, you are more than welcome to. If you want to just stand where you are, that's fine too. But I want to encourage you in some way, in some gesture, to step out, whether it's in your heart, whether it's physically to come, and to say, Lord, there's a lot to process what we shared this morning. But I'm no longer a slave to sin. I don't mean just sensual sin, sins that are obvious. Even to the lies of sin, the lies of the devil who makes me to believe I'm something that I'm not, or I'm less than you say I am. Lord, I'm not a slave to that anymore. I'm stepping out. I'm a child of God. I don't understand it all, Lord, right now, but I'm going to begin to walk that out, what it means to be a child of God. I want to be who you say that I am. So just let's bow our heads, close our eyes, and just listen as they sing this refrain. Let these words minister to you. Let them echo in your spirit and embrace them for the truth that they are.